Welcome to the first episode of the Video Game History Hour presented by the Video Game History Foundation. My name is Kelsey Lewin. I am the co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. I am here with Frank Cifaldi, the founder and co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. And because this is our very first time doing this and we don't have a snappy intro nailed down, uh, I thought it might be a good idea to get started with a brief intro of what you can expect from the podcast. So, Frank, why don't you tell us a little bit about how this is going to work? Ooh, put me on the spot. Yeah. Um, so, the premise is that every episode of the Video Game History Hour is, is going to feature a guest who can teach us a little bit about video game history. Um, we, we want these uh, shows to sort of tell you a story and, and uh, teach you a little bit more than, than you might have uh, already known, even if it's uh, a game or a premise or a subject that you're already familiar with. Uh, so each episode, we're going to bring on uh, what I'd consider an expert on something. Um, maybe that's going to be a content creator who just did some history, might be a, a game developer who might uh, tell us uh, specifically about the making of a product, uh, could be, you know, a video game historian, uh, all kinds of guests, I think. Yeah. And of course, who better to kick off a podcast about video game history than YouTube sensation, Mr. Gaming historian himself, Norm Caruso. Um, Norm recently published a nearly 45 minute long YouTube documentary about the 1992 Super Nintendo title, Mario Paint. Uh, welcome to the video game history hour, Norm. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on the show. Been supporting the foundation for well since you guys started, I think. So this I is. I think that's uh, right. I can look that up though, and, and I can and look that prove, up too. Hang and on. prove you wrong <laughs> and embarrass you. First thing. Yeah, you could, I guess. <laughs> no, you probably did start. I mean, we had we had a lot of people uh, sign up kind of that first month there. I bet you're on there. February 26th that, of 2017. That's basically almost day one. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. You, you didn't start at the Discord level, but you moved up eventually. Mm. I did, yeah. <laughs> Called out. Jeez. Yeah. Well, you know, I I make a dollar per view on YouTube, so uh, it, it was no problem moving up the tiers. Uh, so, Norm, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, set the stage for us here? Uh, tell us a little bit about Mario Paint and, and how it got started. Sure. So... Mario Paint, as he said, 1992 Super Nintendo game was uh, probably the best console art program for its time, um, and maybe ever, um, but it was born out of a changing landscape in the video game industry, and it's it's funny how all these different things are connected in history, so you see a... Uh, a huge boom in like births in the United States. Um, so you, you see, you're going to have an influx of children coming of age and needing education. You have computer prices kind of coming down and all of a sudden they're maybe competing with consoles. And then you have criticism from parents who think Nintendo is evil and it's ruining their children's lives. And so all these things come together at once and, Nintendo has to come up with a program that will, you know, be good for children, it'll make parents happy, and it will say, hey, Nintendo can do these things a computer can do too, and it's way cheaper. And so that was the concept of Mario Paint. 
kind of uh, just thinking back throughout video game history, almost a repeat of the early 80s when all of the consoles were like, hey, we can be computers too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's make all these add-ons. Let's, oh, you can program mm -hmm. uh, on the Atari and whatnot. So yeah, very, very similar. Definitely the basic programming environment that you want is an Atari 2600 with its, <laughs> uh, I don't know, two bytes of RAM or I don't know, it's not really two oh, bytes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, something that I found uh, interesting that was new to me watching this video was your explanation that Nintendo actually donated, I believe it was $3 million to MIT. Can you tell us about that? Yes, so MIT was doing a lot of research on um, using entertainment to educate children. So, and educate them in a way so it feels like they're not learning. Because their theory was if you, if you have something and the kid knows that they're learning, they're less likely to do it. Um, so you kind of, I guess, have to trick the kids <laughs> into learning. Um, and so one researcher had done a lot of had done a lot of work with Legos. So the kids build stuff with Legos, and they kind of learn about architecture and engineering through Legos. And so this research group turned their attention towards video games. And they did a lot of studies on SimCity and uh, Tetris and how it is, you know, teaching kids about math and city management and resources. And so I ultimately, I think it was kind of a PR move for Nintendo, but Nintendo said, okay, we're going to give this research group $3 million for studying how Nintendo games can be made educational. Uh, and ultimately, and there were, there were no stipulations either. Nintendo didn't say, okay, you have to, you have to make a video game for us. I, they just gave them $3 million. Um, and I really do think it was more of a PR move than anything. Cause they were getting a lot of heat from parents about, yeah. you know, Nintendo's rotting kids brains. So yeah. And they did, they did quite a few things, uh, thinking back, to try to combat that. And the, I think the most famous example is uh, Howard Phillips, who's actually uh, a volunteer for the Video Game History Foundation in a, in a sort of weird life events <laughs> thing yeah. for me growing up reading Nintendo Power. Um, they they uh, they they like to tour Howard around as sort of the the cheery face of, uh, of video games explaining how uh, video games are, are not bad. They're actually good. And even adults can play them. So uh, a, a lot of a lot of Nintendo history trying to convince uh, the world through PR that actually these products are uh, good for people. And I think yes. that Norm talked a little bit in his video about how even parents agreed that there was potential there for because they saw that their kids were so into video games that, you know, if you could trick them into learning, that that would be a really good opportunity for them to get even more learning in at the home. Right. And it, it's funny, there's there's an article about, you know, the, the the dark horrors of Nintendo. And I think the article mentions, uh, you know, oh, Ninja Kid and Contra. And my first thought was Ninja Kid. That's the, <laughs> that's the example I came up with. But yeah, it's it was uh, I psychologists and parents did come together on that point and on that point of 
you know, video games are here. Our kids are obsessed with them. We can, we can use them as a tool for learning as well. Right. And we're not quite on the cusp of, uh, you know, Doom, Mortal Kombat, Night Trap, that that sort of era. But we're we're getting close around 1990, so it's it's uh, maybe more of a preventative measure that sometimes than a than a actual response. Yeah, and it was it was uh, they they did a lot of studies on oh my kids you know spending way too much time playing video games, so it was like a video game addiction. Oh, and they're they're becoming more irritable when when you know i say you can't play video games anymore so it it wasn't i don't think it was necessarily strictly about these video games are so violent it was kind of a a bunch of stuff coming together obviously some people did did think like even super mario brothers was too violent but i mean <laughs> for sure i mean tur- those, those are turtles you can't step yeah, on you're, turtles. you're yeah. squishing things shouldn't yeah, be squishing have, things yeah this is um making me think of a product that came out i'm pretty sure around this time called the homework first are you both familiar with this Mm -hmm. i am not familiar with this (laughs) so the homework first was actually a um i don't think it was a padlock i think it was a combination lock for the uh the cartridge mechanism on the nes okay i have seen this i just didn't know what it's called so it was called the homework first yeah it's it's actually a really good name (laughs) for this product is it's the homework first um so okay so that's sort of setting the stage for uh where nintendo is you know as we're coming into the early 90s as maybe the super nintendo is about to debut but Mm -hmm. do we do we know much about where Mario Paint as a concept uh, came from? We don't know much. We do know that it was directed and designed by a uh, an employee at Nintendo named Hirofumi Matsuoka. So he joined Nintendo as a graphic designer. And this was in uh, 1985, if I recall. And, you know, this was when the Famicom... And the NES are all of a sudden a, a huge thing. And so they said, okay, well, you're not going to do design work anymore. You have to help us make video games because that's where all the money is now. So he did a lot of work on uh, Metroid. I think that's what he's most known for is the Metroid series and Super Mario Land. And uh, then he his first director job was Mario Paint. And it was... From what I from what I can gather from context clues from the vid- from the interviews he's done, it really was a a product to compete with the personal computer. That's interesting because you talk about how um, the price of the Super Nintendo once they slashed it down to ninety nine dollars, and then the and then the Mario Paint program was sixty, right? Um, yes. And how much cheaper that was than a personal computer of the day how i mean you know if it had maybe beat it by like a hundred bucks or whatever maybe not a huge deal but that was 20 percent the cost of a personal computer in some cases i i i did some research into okay how much did a computer cost around this time Mm -hmm. and i think the cheapest one i found and this was by no means a good computer but may like six to seven hundred dollars Wow. And a lot of times it didn't come with a monitor. So you got the computer, but you couldn't actually use it. Um, well, Super Nintendo doesn't come with a monitor either. 
That's true. <laughs> but but your house does. But surely there's a television yeah. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, and, and Nintendo Nintendo definitely uh, pointed this out in their advertising because you know they had these those ads that said send your kid to art, music, and film school for only fifty nine ninety five. Of course, they didn't add the price of the Super Nintendo in there, sure. but I guess they just assumed you had a Super Nintendo. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And actually, um, that ad is really interesting to me. Um, that was mostly targeting parents' magazines, I think, right? Yes. Nintendo specifically wanted to target parents. So you see the ad in Parents' Magazine, Good Housekeeping, TV Guide. I guess yeah. parents read TV Guide back then. <laughs> Uh, and I guess is TV Guide even still around? Oh my God, I don't know. I, they call it be. Netflix Guide now. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's it. But yeah, I mean, and it was part of that effort of okay, we want to we want to make parents happy about Nintendo, and so let's let's target them with Mario Paint because surely they can be happy about their kids using an art program, right? Or, and and learning music too, which is a you know probably one of the best things about Mario Paint. Yeah, the the reason I bring up the ads is um, I don't know if a lot of people realize this. Uh, it, it's one of those things where like you might have false memories, but Nintendo did not do print advertising in video game magazines at all in this era. Um, they, I think, the assumption was that video game magazines are basically advertising Nintendo games for free by covering them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's no real need to like run ads, but you know, there's no ads for like super Mario world. There's no, I mean, there's not even like an ad for like buy a super Nintendo. Um, so they, they tended to focus their marketing, uh, to the trade industry, right? So like video stores, things like that, as opposed to consumers, um, and then I guess the exception once in a while would be something like this, although uh, literally no other uh, examples come to mind for me. Yeah, well, they did uh, um, TV, like commercial spots and that sort oh, of thing. Oh, for sure, yes, yes. Um, I mean, Norm pointed out there was a $6.5 million ad campaign for this game specifically. Yes. Which feels like a lot. Uh, yeah. And I imagine most of that just goes to commercial costs. But uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of the way that Nintendo stuff was advertised and not not in print. Mm-hmm. And they, they um, I believe they commissioned Will Vinton, which did the um, California Raisins. I think they commissioned them again to do the Mario Paint stuff. And that makes sense because in the Nintendo Power cover, there's that clay model of of Mario Paint. Oh, that's true. Actually, I, I don't think that one cuz cuz uh, a friend of ours actually owns that clay model. Um, oh, the art of Nintendo Power. Yeah, Stephen yes, Stephen Reed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he he used to have a real name, but now he's <laughs> now, now he's just now art. He's now his name art is of art. NP at art of yeah. NP. <laughs> um it's kind of funny. He's he's he had a Twitter account that was just his name that I think he's abandoned at this point. Um but yeah, he he purchased that model and that one uh I believe did not come from uh Vinton Studios. However, uh the model for Nintendo Power number 1, the the famous one uh with, you know, Super Mario uh slightly off palette, um you know, jumping on a mushroom or whatever. That actually did come uh 
from a, a uh, an artist who who worked at Vinton. So there there's definitely some uh, continuity there. Interesting. And you know, I'm like, so maybe I was actually trying to figure out what did because it, it was in a press release that Will Vinton was doing this marketing campaign, and so I was like, well, okay, maybe they they did the Nintendo. I was trying to figure out what they did. So I was like, okay, well, maybe they did the Nintendo Power Cover, but if that's not it, there were the Japanese commercials with like claymation Mario riding a, a Super Nintendo mouse. So maybe they did that, or maybe they just did the commercials and it had nothing to do with claymation. I'm making the connection to claymation. Right. But Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. Like we are both typecasting Will Vinton Studios because why would you hire them for anything but claymation? They're right. the California Raisins people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they did that that <laughs> holiday special with the dinosaurs. That, yeah. That's just what they do. Um, so actually, I'm, I'm kind of realizing we haven't talked about, uh, for those listening who don't know the game, like what is Mario Paint? Mario Paint is a art, animation, and music program for the Super Nintendo. So... You turn it on and it just gives you a blank canvas with a bunch of drawing tools and you can you can draw with it and then it has a, a very basic animation program. Uh, you can do four frame, six frame, or nine frame animation. Um, and then it also has a music program. Now you don't actually use notes per se, it's you use little you know, sprites, and those represent musical notes and different sounds, and you put them on the staff, and you can compose music. And it came with examples, so you could kind of, like, understand how it worked, and uh, it was it was just a very cool, creative program for the Super Nintendo. And it came with a mouse, which I think is very important, because there were art programs before Mario Paint, but they didn't come with a mouse, and so you couldn't really draw anything super detailed, or if you wanted to, it would be very difficult. Um, Art Alive came out on the Genesis before Mario Paint. Um, you had Videomation on the uh, the NES, um, and I think that had a little animation tool as well, but it was all very basic, and it wasn't super fun. Mario Paint made it fun. Yeah, and, and I think some of the brilliance of Mario Paint... Uh, you kind of alluded to it is a blank canvas there's not really goals there's not instructions even as your video points out uh it just kind of has you learn by yourself how things work uh it's in it's designed incredibly intuitively uh there are no goals right there's not like a uh you know a, a coloring mini game or anything like that it, it 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 is just leaving you wide open to uh express yourself Yes, and when I was doing research on Mario Paint, I was curious, you know, is is there like a secret ending to this game? Is there something I'm missing? And <laughs> did you look up the the, the task? <laughs> <laughs> I I I actually um, I I determined there really is no secret ending of Mario Paint, but you know there is that site Retro Achievements where like people make up achievements for older games. And there's there's stuff for Mario Paint, so it's like make an animation, make a drawing, <laughs> complete Nat Attack level three. You know, <laughs> it has speed run making an animation in Mario Paint. That's, yeah, I, all right. I think I think um, <laughs> I think Nat Attack is like the only thing that you could consider. I beat something in Mario Paint, but you know, Mario Paint wasn't about 
it's it wasn't about like beating the game it was to be creative and you know learn learn how to draw learn how to animate learn how to make music and it was you know express your creativity that's what it was all about so in this video you interviewed three different people um, and they were pretty present throughout the entire video uh, with mm -hmm. additional context and that sort of thing can you tell me a little bit about you know normally when people do historical videos they'll try to interview the people actually involved in the cre the making of the game. Um, yes. That's obviously not very possible with in regards to old Nintendo stuff. Those guys aren't aren't exactly jumping at the chance to talk to random Americans. Um, but you still found a way to get uh, a bunch of interviews in there that I thought were actually pretty interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about what that process was like, how you selected those people, um, and what you thought it added to the conversation? Sure. So initially, like you said, I tried to reach out to everybody who worked on Mario Paint in some way. Um, if you actually click on the title screen on one of the letters, it, it rolls the staff credits. So that was an easy way for me to see, okay, who worked on this game. Um, and I contacted everybody from Nintendo of America. Um, and I also tried to contact a few of the developers who worked on the game in Japan. Um, didn't hear back from anybody in Japan, <laughs> which is pretty pretty standard. Um, Nintendo of America, I heard back from most of them. Interesting. And all of them basically said, oh yeah, I kind of remember that game. Yeah, we didn't really do anything with that. We just kind of repackaged it and released it. And so they didn't really have anything to say about it. Because um, it's not, you know, Mario Paint didn't really need to be localized for intent for the North American market. It's not like stuff had to really be translated in the game because right. it's just a creative program. Um, I think they, the only thing they really had to do was figure out how they were going to market the mouse. Yeah. Um, and so, not only do you have, and again, this was, you know, twenty five plus years ago. So a lot of their memories, especially on a game that they didn't really do much on, they're like, eh, yeah, I don't really, I don't really remember remember much. Um, so I said, okay, I can't really go that route. Plus, we were in a COVID pandemic, so I can't <laughs> even like go interview anybody, really, or people aren't really comfortable with meeting up at that moment because this was, you know, um, March April where it was we were kind of on lockdown around here. Um, so I said, well, I have to do an, a, a different angle with this video. Um, and oddly enough, Mario Paint was a very highly requested topic for me to cover. I didn't grow up with Mario Paint, but for some reason this game was very special to people. And I wanted to figure out why. So that was kind of my angle for bringing in people that just grew up with the game and maybe used it in special ways. And so I just did a call out on Twitter. I said, hey, if you grew up playing Mario Paint or you still use Mario Paint in a weird way, I'd love to hear from you. And so that's how I got in contact with a bunch of people that, you know, still use Mario Paint today or grew up playing it. And I, I talked with, I want to say like 10 people. Um, and it was all very helpful because it gave me good insight into why they love the game and how it helped them 
in their future careers. I talked to one guy who is a special effects artist on Star Wars today, and he grew up playing Mario Paint. He credits Mario Paint for getting him interested in digital art. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he actually, he did tell a funny story of uh, when he first started doing digital art, he kept using a mouse instead of like a, a pen. Um, and all the other artists would make fun of him. And he said he was just used to it because, you know, he did transition from Mario Paint to a computer with the mouse, and now he's just doing this with a mouse. Uh, and so out of those 10 interviews, I narrowed it down to three people, and I wanted to get a good mix of of people that use it in creative ways. So um, Tom Bob, who was one of the first, who had one of the first YouTube channels, to do Mario Paint music covers. This was back in 2006, 2007. So this was like, you know, the early days of YouTube. Um, and then uh, Jazzy Boho, who incorporated Mario Paint into their filmmaking, which I thought was extremely creative. And Jazzy had a lot of great insight as well. And then Benjamin Rivers, who's a game developer, um, who learned kind of the process for game development through Mario Paint. And that was a real surprise to me. And actually doing research on Mario Paint, there's a lot of there's a lot of developers that credit Mario Paint for getting them into game development. Including people at Nintendo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really cool. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I loved the 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 spread between those those three guests that you had. Um showing you know three very distinct ways i think that that this game uh has influenced people and um i i think i'm with you what, what i was really fascinated by the idea that for a lot of people um possibly even myself if i were to really sort of dig uh I, I, it, this this program might have been the introduction to like how sprites work right or mm -hmm even the notion that um i you don't have infinite power on these machines just you know the limited palette for example it's like what 15 colors something like that um is not something that uh me as a child when this game came out uh, would have ever considered uh having been a limitation and i think that made me understand that people making these things probably have some limitations yeah, and that was kind of as I was doing research and talking with um, people that grew up playing Mario Paint, that became kind of the central theme of the video, which is limitation breeds creativity. And that was kind of what I wanted to get across with Mario Paint, where like people were making these really awesome creative things in a program that, you know, by today's standards is very basic and minimal, but that's what makes it, you know, that's what opens up your creativity and that's what makes it charming, I guess. Just as historians, uh, one very fortunate thing, I think, is, is something you alluded to earlier, which is that Mario Paint has real credits with actual names. <laughs> yes, which is... Um, <laughs> it's so rare. During that time, yeah, it was very rare for Nintendo to do that. And of course, it's a hidden Easter egg in the game, but <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, the nice thing about that is that, I mean, sometimes when games had credits, you had to complete the whole game to see that so i mean you know that's almost that's all documented now but if you were to mm -hmm. try to research something that didn't have that i mean at least at least you can get you can access those credits 
from the title screen. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot less work. Yes, it was it was very helpful for me to just click click the mouse once and I can see everyone who worked on the game. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm sure all three of us tried to do this, but uh, I tried to figure out some sort of lineage from the staff uh, besides, uh, you know, the obvious, the, the sort of director of the game, just like, is there is there programming lineage? And of course, because Nintendo games didn't tend to have real credits, uh, we just don't know a lot about the programming lineage of uh, internal Nintendo development. And I just could not really like find a clear throughput uh, of, of engineering uh, that this fit into nicely, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah, and that's that's one of those you know pitfalls of research. You kind of hit dead ends on things, and it's it's very hard with a, a company like Nintendo where they're they're very secretive about that stuff. And um, it, it's and when you're making a documentary, you kind of just have to say, okay, I got to move on. I got to like, <laughs> I can't just you know go down this rabbit hole. So one one uh, name that. Uh, is uh it is kind of easy to trace there is is the composer uh Kaz- Kazumi Totaka yes and um famous for Totaka's song uh which didn't make its debut in uh Mario Paint necessarily I, I believe that was an X, X for yeah. the Game Boy yes uh, but I think this is probably the most famous example of Totaka's song and for a lot of us maybe the only one we actually stumbled into. Yeah, it was it was on the title screen again. One of one of those letters you could. I think it was the O. It became a bomb, and it blew up the title screen. And then Totaka's song would play. And um, there is actually some. He did do an interview, um, and he does mention his work on Mario Paint. I think he does mention that was the only Super Nintendo game he worked on. Ah, and is that right? He, wow. Yeah, and he also mentioned that. Uh, he, they did some. He did some work on the music program, and the initial idea had always been, let's find a way to s- ar- arrange sprites to form music. That was like the general concept of the music program. Um, so you get you get little nuggets here and there from interviews, but yeah, Totaka is definitely one of the bigger names on the, that staff credit. Got just arranging colorful fun images to make a song that's that is pinnacle of nintendo yep just uh (laughs) we're gonna base it around this general idea and turn it into something so as you pointed out the game was a huge seller especially in japan right Mm -hmm. yeah very popular in japan that that surprised me like when when you see mario paint is outselling street fighter 2 and zelda link to the past that's kind of shocking. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something you think about, I guess. Yeah, it just hadn't occurred to me and, and I hadn't seen the uh that that commercial you mentioned either that was in Japan that was uh I believe it was a claymation Mario moving around. Yeah, he he's riding the Super Nintendo mouse around, you know, hooting and hollering. So <laughs> as one does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a, a mechanical bull kind of thing or he's riding the horse, but yeah, that's what he was acting like on the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> so we we talked about the sort of legacy among the the players right of, of mario paint but mm-hmm. um i think there's a really interesting uh game development legacy within nintendo as well can you talk about that for a minute um 
Sure. What do you mean in in terms of the the core concept and 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 features of Mario Paint? Um, you know, tended to show up uh, pretty quickly, actually, after uh, the original Mario Paint in in a in a sequel that came out on on another console. Ah, uh, yes. So, yeah, I mean the the very next console after the Super Nintendo, the Nintendo sixty four, uh, you you all of a sudden see teasers and hints about Mario Paint 64, which looking back, it, it makes sense because Mario Paint was a very successful program. So, uh, you have a more powerful console. Um, so why not, why not try a sequel at this very popular game? It should sell very well. And then you have the addition of the 64 disc drive, uh, which could really open up the possibilities of a Mario Paint program where you could go online and share creations or you could save creations, then open them up in a different program and modify them as well. The whole, the whole idea of that Mario artist suite, which is what Mario paint 64 became that whole concept was very appealing. And it's a shame how it ended up on the 64 disc drive, which really bombed, but, uh, the 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 scope of what they were trying to do was impressive yeah i mean for uh for me at least and i'm sure a lot of people watching the video um i was aware of the 64 dd uh drive you know i i i knew at least vaguely what all the titles were i knew that there was a suite of tools but um you know it hadn't really occurred to me uh, until seeing all of them in action on your video uh that this whole suite was not only a sequel to Mario Paint, but just a dramatic expansion of the ideas of Mario Paint because you had, you know, you, know, you had one disc. Uh, and by the way, what how, how many games are there on the 64DD? Not very many, like six or something? There's uh, it's a little, what, nine, nine, something nine, like that. Something. And like, yeah, and, and, and half of them are Mario artists. Right, games. right. <laughs> yes. and, that's, and that's not even all of the ones that they were working on. Because <laughs> some didn't ship, um, right? They were planning eight, yeah, eight different Mario artist titles, and I and think I looked we those got up. four. Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't even familiar with that, so I looked those up, and it goes even further than what these four games uh, could allow you to do. I mean, they were planning a, a Mario artist game maker, a mm -hmm. Mario artist graphical message maker. I mean, they were giving you some very serious tools here, or they were at least planning to give you some very, very serious tools to learn how to develop everything from graphics to games to, I mean, these were like, these were hardcore tools. Yeah, they were, it was extremely impressive. And just using them, you know, obviously we didn't get Mario Artist in North America, so I had no experience using it. So my first time using it, I was shocked at how robust it was, especially like the Polygon Maker. I mean, you can make... right very intricate polygons and then you can open the you can you can you know draw on them you can like make these custom polygons and then you can put them in in the, your own movie and it's just wild what you can do with that mario artist suite yeah i actually played uh, the polygon studio for the first time i think it was last year and i ended up messing around with it for hours you can make your little creatures and stuff out of polygons. They give you kind of like a, a basic game world to roam around in and interact with mm -hmm. the environment. I mean, it's, again, it's really robust. Is it, um, so you two have 
both uh, played with this. I have not. Is it actually intuitive? Is it like Mario Paint where, where a child could do it? Yeah. It would be if I spoke Japanese. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> yeah, that's true. There is a language barrier if you're playing on the original cartridge, but in the, the emulation community, there have been translations of all these titles, and um, it is very intuitive. Uh, they have, like, they have a like a simple mode for people. So if you, that's probably for kids, if you're just a kid and you want to mess around, they give you like pre-built polygons that you can stretch and move around and do whatever you want with. And then they have like a more advanced mode where you can, you know, get down to the nitty gritty and do the wire framing polygons and move them around in a 3d environment. So it, it can get very, very detailed, but it is also accessible to, to like younger children or people that aren't familiar with it. That's so cool. And it's like, um, looking at the the footage of these products, um, this is something that I think they were taking extremely seriously at Nintendo. I think that they really saw uh, a new uh, future for themselves with this suite of products. I, th- I think that uh, you know the, the polish level on these is incredible. The the marketing looked like it was there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it just seems like this, uh, very sort of lost idea, uh, of Nintendo's at, at least, uh, from, from that era though, we, we, we see hints of it later on. Yeah. They really did put a lot of effort into the Mario artist series and a lot of just from a lot of the advertising and research on the 64 DD, they really did advertise it a lot with the Mario artist games. Um, and <laughs> And Jazzy mentions this in the video that it it seemed like Nintendo was was trying to pitch this 64 disk drive as like this supercomputer mm-hmm. that you can use in instead of a you know personal computer. Um, and you know, unfortunately, the 64 disk drive just didn't take off, and it got I think it just got delayed and delayed and delayed. And by the time it was finally out, it was like time to move on you know it's it's interesting just this didn't occur to me until just now hearing you word that the way that you did but um you know going back like we'd been talking about how uh there were attempts to uh turn you know your console into a computer because you already sort of had a computer there right so Mm -hmm. like let's add a keyboard and, and you can start doing computer stuff um even the same you know we were kind of joking about it earlier but even like you have a monitor in your living room, so you're already sort of halfway there. And what's occurring to me talking about this now is that um, people didn't really have, you know, 3D rendering stations at at, at home in, in in the late 90s. And the 64, you know, while it didn't have an incredible uh, amount of, of 3D horsepower, it, it was essentially, you know, a lightweight, like SGI workstation that you already had. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's almost an evolution of the idea uh, of, of, uh, of stealthing a a computer into your home through a game system in an era where people actually did tend to have uh, uh, computers in their homes. Yeah. And a much more powerful type of application. I mean, this is beyond just like a drawing program. This is like, you can you can make legit 3D animation and and 
polygons in video games with this application. It was it was very impressive. So um, something that uh, didn't really come across in the video that that I think of when I, when I look uh, at the the lineage of this game is uh, I feel that the original WarioWare is is a very clear uh, descendant of uh, Mario Paint and then Mario Artist. Not not only in features because actually one of the Mario Artist suites literally has some WarioWare micro games three years before WarioWare. Uh, but mm-hmm. just the tone of WarioWare, the, the, uh, the occasionally kind of, uh, quote unquote bad graphics in WarioWare, the, you know, the intentionally, uh, uh, low fidelity sort of mouse driven graphics of WarioWare, like WarioWare to me. And I, I mean the original even, uh, on the right. GBA, uh, feels like a very clear descendant of these games. Yeah, it does. And the um just from reading interviews from the development team behind the WarioWare series, it's clear that a lot of them grew up playing Mario Paint and loved it and that's what kind of got them into video games and WarioWare DIY is like th- the most clear like <laughs> right. sequel to Mario Paint and Mario Artist. But you're right, the older WarioWare games with these very simple childlike graphics and animations does kind of harken back to like the charm of Mario paint. And they were, uh, they were directed by uh, Hirofumi Matsuoka. Uh, yes. Same guy. So yeah. um, if uh, that's something to, to look into uh, listeners at home, if you're, if you're into <laughs> the, uh, the aesthetic um, of Mario paint and, I th- and even though it is a blank canvas for you, I think there is clearly an aesthetic uh, to Mario paint. Uh, I, I, I would argue that, that WarioWare is, is, uh, the, the closest, uh, descendant, uh, of that. Um, but yeah, as you said, Norm, um, WarioWare DIY, uh, specifically the, the DS, uh, version of, uh, War- oh, was it 3DS? It was 3DS. It was DS. Was regular DS? No, I think DIY was regular DS. Okay. Um, or DSi, right? DSiWare maybe? It's on DS. Okay. I'm looking at it right now. All right, whatever. DS, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have it, okay? Um, <laughs> the Yeah, that, that one is very clearly, uh, as you said, um, almost a sequel to uh, what Mario Paint and Mario Artist was uh, doing. And, and in fact, Kelsey, you brought up that the Mario Artist suite um, had plans for something like a game maker. It almost seems like at least spiritually, uh, that ended up showing up in DIY, even without uh, Matsuoka's involvement. Yeah, it uh, it's got all the tools that you know Mario Paint had. It's got a drawing program. It's got it's got a much more robust music program. Um, but the the biggest draw is that you can kind of make your own little mini games with it, uh, with with the stuff you you come up with. So, and that was specifically where you see interviews with the developers and they talk about growing up playing Mario paint and loving it. And so that, that connection is definitely there. And I, and I, I kind of enjoy that, you know, the, the WarioWare series, uh, came from Matsuoka, uh, who, uh, you know, was the director of Mario paint. And even after, himself leaving the company and and that series um you know that that mario paint 
uh, inspiration and lineage just carried forward, maybe even unintentionally, right, in, into uh, WarioWare. It's kind of a neat full circle thing for me. Yeah, kind of, you know, Matsuoka gave, infused the WarioWare series with this identity and, you know, Nintendo just ran with it. Yeah. Um, there is, of course, a, a, a pretty large Nintendo product that, uh, actually, I didn't know until you mentioned it started life as a new Mario Paint. Yeah, that was news to me, too. Yes, I was shocked by that as well. Um, and they, there was an interview with uh, Takashi Tezuka, who um, has been involved with the Mario series since, you know, the Super Mario Brothers. Um, he's kind of like the, the head honcho of that series. And he was interviewed about Super Mario Maker, and he said it originally began as a concept for, as, uh, for Mario Paint on the Wii U. And they kind of just evolved it from there to, well, I think people really want to make their own Mario levels. Maybe we can like combine these developer tools we have internally with like the ease of access with of Mario Paint. And that's how Mario Maker came to be. And it's so obvious it, w- it was inspired by Mario Paint because you have so many fun little Easter eggs and references to Mario Paint. Like th- there's the Nat Attack minigame in Super Mario Maker the little rocket ship will erase your level just like the rocket ship erased your canvas in Mario Paint. And then my favorite is the undo dog who is a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a cute little dog that undoes a mistake you made. Does he make the same sound? Um, the weird like... Eh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if he does that in, in Mario Maker, but uh, I had to include that when I was going over Mario Paint just because it's such a charming little sound. Eh. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a dog. It doesn't quite sound like a duck. It's just, yeah, it's kind of its own thing. Um, am I mistaken? Is the is, isn't the save music in there too? In Mario Maker? Yeah. Do 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 do. Yes, the yeah. robot. Yeah. yeah, that's in there as well. That's my jam. Yeah, that one. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's like, you know, the ideas survive in a in a company like Nintendo for a really long time um you you know you see things like that with i mean i I was actually at uh gdc when when miyamoto gave a presentation of uh like the keynote that year i don't remember what year it was it was uh when nintendogs was coming out i believe um but just things like how the concept of me's like traced back to a disc system prototype that he was working on in like 86 you know uh and that you know, evolved Gosh. into that um, that GameCube thing that never came out, where you would sort of scan your p- polygonal face and dance around, which sort of kind of evolved into Wii well, Music, sort of, right? And that's sort of on the 64DD too, in the right. Mario Talent Artist. Studio. Yeah. yeah, Mario Artist. <laughs> yeah, so, Talent Studio can... is like right, right. Talent Studio seems to be like the 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 predecessor of whatever that thing was called. The the yeah. ship, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these ideas just survive, and it's like, I don't know. I, I think, uh, yes, Nintendo's special in a lot of ways, but and I think what maybe makes it the most special in the video game world is that it's still here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. it's an old company that still exists and still employs people from the old days, and that's just, that's very rare in video games uh, in any country. It is. I just, I do love how Nintendo kind of holds on to ideas for years and years and years. And 
Ed just comes back to him every now and then. I mean, well, I think... even Nintendogs that you were mentioning right there, I mean, that goes back to its days as a 64DD game called Cabbage that never shipped and we never even saw, um, like, footage or screenshots or anything of. But uh, there have been a couple people who from Nintendo have come out and said that, you know, a lot of the ideas present in Nintendogs were, they've, they've been there for a while. The thing about Kelsey Lewin is that any excuse to talk about Cabbage... <laughs> she's on it <laughs> um, I want cabbage I, I think you should tell us briefly about cabbage because I think it actually is part of this uh, story sure yeah way. so cabbage was um, an Atoy who's the uh, uh, mother director mm-hmm. um, an Atoy and a Wada I believe joint thing they were working on in the 64DD era and there have been a lot of different descriptions of it, and none of them really quite mean anything. But it's essentially like a, a pet sim meets, you know, real-time clock and uh, communication and just kind of there's a lot of buzzwords involved in it. But uh, what makes it really interesting is that everyone who was involved with it seemed really excited about it. First of all, you've got a bunch of really uh, big developer names on it who have done some great work. Wasn't Miyamoto um, involved as well? Am I, am I wrong about that? That sounds right. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah, throw him in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was everyone. Um, and, and, you know, just something that it got completely abandoned, but uh, as a concept called cabbage, but that a lot of these ideas have persisted into future products and have been just kind of mentioned offhand. Like when people have talked about Animal Crossing, they'll be like, oh yeah, and this sort of, you know, we started thinking about this with a game called Cabbage or when it comes to Nintendogs. Yeah, we started kind of thinking about this idea with a game called Cabbage. And so what the heck was Cabbage? <laughs> I want to see all these awesome uh, games that have... I would I would say enduring, but we haven't had a new Nintendog since the 3DS, so maybe maybe not so much on that one. But uh, these really big franchises who kind of got their starts with this completely unknown 64DD game uh, that we've never even seen a screenshot of. Just just the name Cabbage alone makes me want to dive in and figure out what the heck it was all about. <laughs> so Norm's Some next veggies. video he just announced. <laughs> In collaboration yes, with the Video Game History <laughs> Foundation. No, we don't have time. We're busy. <laughs> well, we have like, there's like two articles and none of them have screenshots. So, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, they never announced it as a product, right? It was just an, an internal project that seems to have just been this, you know, wild uh, storm in a teacup of, of, of crazy ideas that they, that they uh, were able to use on products in the future, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea how much. I mean, maybe we've never seen screenshots because it never even got that far. Right, yeah, you never <laughs> know. <laughs> and then it just occurred to me another, like, recycling ideas thing, just to, to get back into this Nintendo process, is uh, the quote-unquote Mario 128 demo that they showed uh, sure. for the GameCube. Oh, yes. With Very a million infamous. Marios yeah. running around. <laughs> yeah. People are like, where's that game? Where's that game? And, you know, eventually Miyamoto was like, oh, that, that was Pikmin. That's Pikmin, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Calm down. We made yep. it. It's called Pikmin. We just yep. we swapped Mario for these weird clay guys. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I, I really feel like the uh, Mario Maker implementation of these ideas, I don't know if it's like the ultimate idea, but I, I do feel that uh, it is, they they threw out a lot of the cruft, 
right? Like, mm-hmm. there's not like this polygon studio, right? There's not a talent studio. Like, they they kind of realize in, in a very Nintendo way. They sort of found the fun of uh, of merging this blank canvas creativity with a game because they already had what is essentially one of the most simple game designs ever. I mean, like, you know, Super Mario is just about blocks and physics that, that you put a face on, right? right. Um, and, uh, yeah, when you, when you load up uh, Mario Maker, maybe, maybe appreciate where it came from. Know, know your roots as the, uh, <laughs> as the hot topic Nintendo shirt sold in uh, 2005 that someone bought me for Christmas uh, said. Oh, wonderful! Wow. I remember those. <laughs> is that is that like in the same vein as the classically trained yes. shirt? Yes, yes, yeah. Okay, cool. A coworker also <laughs> purchased a. Uh, I don't think I wore it very much, but uh, they were very excited to give me a like Nintendo Clinic shirt. I don't really. It was like red with white text and like a, a Red Cross logo kind of thing. Was, <laughs> I don't know what that meant, but they were like, "You like old games? This is for you." <laughs> I I had a Yoshi shirt, okay, that said "Give me a free ride." Ew! I what? don't know what Gross. it meant exactly. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a sexual thing, but <laughs> or if it was just like appealing to the bus driver. Exactly. I don't know if it was like I'm getting on public transportation and Yoshi gave Mario free rides, so why not? I get a free ride on this bus. I don't know. I didn't really wear it that much. <laughs> I thought it was kind of weird. Yeah, Nintendo so had some weird So is it just Yoshi? It's just a, the Yoshi sprite, and it just says, give me a free ride under it. Wow. It is an official Nintendo shirt. So it's it, it almost reads as Yoshi appealing for a free ride. <laughs> like, I've given my share of free rides. Now it's your turn to give Yoshi a free ride. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I want it now. I think your next video should be on uh, the history of Nintendo merchandise. Actually, that sounds like a really good video. So <laughs> oh, well, that would be super interesting and a very expensive video to make. Yes, it I, would be. Oh, you'd have to. Yes. Yeah, you'd have to buy every piece and yeah. Um, you gotta wear a different shirt in every shot too. <laughs> oh yeah, Just... <laughs> a different hat, a different shirt. I mean, yeah, and and that's it, it's part of. Um, doing like doing research for some topics involves like buying everything surrounding the topic so for mario paint you know there was merchandise for mario paint there really wasn't a lot but i figured maybe i should buy this stuff and you know just i when you deep dive you want to cast a wide net and try to like grab everything you can so i bought the mario paint easter egg decorating kit that (laughs) pass put out um, cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's nothing specifically about Mario Paint with it. It was just kind of branded as a Mario Paint merchandise well, you're, you're item. Painting. I guess that's the connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can that's see it. exactly where this came from, which is that. I mean, it's not a Nintendo product. It's it's POS, like you said. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, the the licensing for Nintendo merch was like, here's the properties you can use. Here's their logos, and that probably. For like three months, you know, was probably mm-hmm. a license that they offered. Uh, and like, you know, what else would make sense but a but a paint kit? Yeah, and it came with like a Legend of Zelda cardboard cutout adventure thing. <laughs> um, you could Which like is build. really hard. I never beat it. <laughs> it's 
very difficult. Um, yeah, and I think there was a there was a a tie in with Fruit Loops for like Mario Paint markers, and then Macy's was doing like a Mario Paint promotion where you could buy like a Mario Paint painter's hat. You got it for free if you showed up to this like Mario Paint demonstration. Nice at Macy's. Like. There wasn't much with Mario Paint, but I found what what was there. <laughs> and occasionally on eBay, I have seen and and you mentioned this uh, in in your video um, during whatever show it was. I guess it was CES still. Uh, they had artists set up to to draw your portrait in Mario Paint, and they actually um, I don't know if you knew this, Norm. They 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 offered uh, souvenir uh, VHS of yourself being drawn. I didn't know they they gave you the tape. Yeah. Uh, now I actually that's funny. I found a um an upload on YouTube mm-hmm. of somebody getting their portrait made. I said, "Huh, I wonder how he got that." That is it from was fr- yes. it was from the show. Okay. Yep. Uh and I have seen them on eBay occasionally once in a while someone will find one and list it. Um yeah, that is that is a CES souvenir of your face being drawn in Mario Paint which uh is is some excellent, uh, excellent merch uh, to to give to a, a Walmart buyer or something, <laughs> yeah. right? To to remember this product, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, Norm, uh, before we hit record on the show, uh, you oh, mentioned man. that this is your favorite video you've ever done. It is. Um, oddly enough, it is my favorite video I have ever made. So why? Um, it's funny how it all kind of tied together. You know, the theme of the video was limitation breeds creativity. And it was the central theme of me making this video as well. Because I, again, did not grow up playing Mario Paint. Initial research was pretty limited. And I was like, you know, like I mentioned, I reached out to these developers and they're like, yeah, I don't remember anything. We didn't really do anything. I don't want to talk about it. And so I just thought, well, I don't even know how I'm going to make this thing. Um, but I had to make it. Um, it was a Patreon voted topic. Um, I think the three choices were Checks Quest, Mario Paint, and Sony Mistakes. And so whichever one got the most votes was the video I would work on next. And Mario Paint won by a ton. Uh, and initially I was like doubting if I could even make it. And the angle of talking to people that grew up with the game and how they use it in creative ways, it just all came together really well. And it was more of a social history of Mario Paint than a, you know, traditional history um, and I think I just really, I really enjoyed making it and I just love how it all, how it all came together in the end. Well, Norm, uh, thank you for being, uh, the guest on the inaugural uh, episode of the video game history hour. Uh, is there anything else uh, you wanted to discuss, uh, in regards to Mario paint and Kelsey, I suppose this applies to you as well. Um, now how much are you guys paying me to be on this? That's my <laughs> first question. Uh, well, how much have you given us on Patreon? Oh, uh, hundreds of thousands. <laughs> <laughs> well, Norm, we are a charity. Um, That's right, yes. <laughs> so uh, that is that is short for we are very poor. Um, so we will, uh, once you've gotten your, uh, 
your your uh, master's degree. And by the way, congratulations. Uh, you Thank are you. now a, a grad student. Uh, where are you studying currently? I am, I am studying at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Uh, so it's right here in Kansas City, and I am my emphasis is on public history. So, you know, ties in very well with what I'm doing right now. <laughs> I would and say I, so. Yeah, and actually, I was talking with the the director of the public history program, and she mentioned, you know, for your final project, you can make a documentary. And I just <laughs> thought, oh well, beautiful. I, I think I know how to do that. <laughs> I yeah. uh, actually come to think of it, your payment was uh, the letter of recommendation that I wrote uh, for yes. your program. Thank you very much. And actually, <laughs> I should also mention uh, Frank helped me out with the Mario Paint video. I forgot. Because I found a, a, a website, Nintendo Player, I think it was. And they had a they had a little blog post about Mario Paint. He found like an early prototype build, which wasn't really any different than the final build. But he had some figures in there, like it sold X amount of units and whatnot. And I was like, I wonder if there it was not sourced at all, though. So I said, I, Gosh, where did he get this? I need to know. Oh, that's right. And so Frank, um, you know, helped helped me find it, and it was on like the Lexus Nexus database. And then I discovered, wow, I can sign up for LexisNexis. Like it's open to like individual researchers now. I think I mentioned to you that like it, it's a lot cheaper now. It's yeah, like 20 it, bucks you, a month you, now. Yeah, you're, you're paying like a third of, of the, 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 the amount that I was grandfathered into like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Usually when you're grand, grandfathered in, it's the opposite. You're paying less, but uh, they, they have been suckering me for a decade. See, I, I'm like the accountant of the Video Game History Foundation. <laughs> See, you can, you can save some money here, Frank. Wow, an account. We have an accountant. Um, cool. Well, Norm, thanks again. This was awesome. Uh, you got anything, any, any new work you want to plug, anything like that before we go? Gosh, I, um, I have been sitting on Oregon Trail interviews for a year now. Ooh. Um, and I am just, I'm trying to, to finish that video, but you know, COVID hit and it really threw a wrench in like that whole production. Um, but I guess that's my teaser. Stay tuned for a, a <laughs> big Oregon trail video. I don't know when it will come out, but you know, I'm working on it. Our, our friends at the strong museum of play have some really good stuff around Oregon trail. I hate, hate to throw that wrench into your research right now, but <laughs> I, I want That's where I was planning to go. I was like mm -hmm. talking and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll be there in April, and then, <laughs> then a pandemic hit. Right, so. they, <laughs> and even they were not there in April. Right. Well, thanks again, Norm. Thanks everybody for listening. Make sure to follow Norm uh, on his YouTube channel, the Gaming Historian. You, you want to plug the rest of your stuff too, your social channels. Sure. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Gaming Historian, um, and yeah, YouTube.com/slash Gaming Historian. Thanks for listening to the Video Game History Hour, brought to you by the Video Game History Foundation. If you have questions or comments for the show, you can find us on Twitter, at Game History Hour, or email us at podcast at gamehistory.org. Did you know the Video Game History Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit and that all of your contributions are tax deductible? You can support this podcast and all of our other work on Patreon or at gamehistory.org slash donate. This episode of the Video Game History Hour was produced by Robin Kunamune and edited by Michael Carroll. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.